Today is the second Sunday of Lent, and as some of you will recall, Lent is more than the stuff you find in the dryer, and Lent is more than the purple hangings in church, and Lent is more than just a countdown to the celebration of Easter. What Lent is supposed to be, and sometimes this is news to folks who've been in church for a long time, but what Lent is supposed to be is the church's yearly invitation for you and I to get in shape spiritually. The church's yearly invitation for you, not somebody else in this church building, but for you to grow in your faith. A yearly invitation to pray more intensely, something you're supposed to do during Lent, to fast and to give to those in need. Lent is a time where you and I are supposed to ponder the big questions. Heaven, hell, life, death, God, meaning, faith, what's it all about? What, what are you doing with the time that you have here remaining on earth? That is a Lenten sort of question. What changes do you need to make in your life? Painful or joyful? Another Lenten sort of question. In today's lessons, we heard from the Old Testament and the book of Genesis, God makes Abram shortly to become Abraham. He makes him a promise. And it's a promise that the Bible refers to as a covenant. Say covenant. It's one of those strange Bible words, what you and I might refer to today as a sacred agreement. And it's really an elephant-sized promise that God makes Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 5. I don't know if you caught what God promised, but this is what God says to Abraham. Look up to the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that. Too many to count. If you agree that's a big promise, say amen. Not bad for Canadian Anglicans at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But it is. It is a huge promise. And what does Abraham do after receiving this mighty, powerful promise from God? What does he do? Nothing, right? He doesn't do anything. He just goes back to living his life the way he always was. Yes? No. He takes his wife, Sarah, their considerable possessions, their servants, and they make the dangerous 1,500-kilometer train ride, camel, camel train, maybe, from the country that they knew in the Middle East, where they had always lived, and went out toward this strange place they had never seen, full of weird people who would be hostile toward them. In other words, they went out toward the promised land, the land that God promised. When you leave here this afternoon, will you be heading out toward the land of promise? Or will you simply go back to your old address? Two Americans were uh, talking, and the first American said, Well, I read in the newspaper the other day that a man wearing a monk's uniform attacked somebody in New York City. It's called a habit. I don't care the reason that he did it. 
What is the reason that you are here this afternoon? Are you just a churchgoer or are you a disciple? Churchgoers, as you may have guessed, and you're a very smart uh, group of people, go to church. Disciples also go to church, but disciples also strive to follow Jesus in their daily lives outside of this building. So disciples choose Christ, disciples follow Christ, churchgoers, not necessarily. When disciples hear about the big promises of God from the Bible, things like God has love, and God wants to share that love with you, or God is mercy and wants you to share mercy, or that God can use your life, whether you're 90 or 9, to make an impact, disciples immediately start heading out toward the promised land. Churchgoers, when they hear the big promises of God, go back to their old lives. So when you leave here this afternoon, will you be heading out to the promised land, or will you be going back to your old address, old habits, old sins, old difficulties, old whatever? Disciples follow Christ. Repeat after me. Disciples follow Christ. They do that because they made that commitment to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Remember, Abraham didn't just believe in God in a generic way. Abraham didn't just say words about God. Abraham followed God toward the promised land. And that's what disciples seek to do in their daily lives. Churchgoers, not necessarily. Going to church is a good thing. The disciples go a next step. Disciples seek to follow Christ. By engaging in ancient spiritual practices. Now what the heck does that mean? What is a spiritual practice? Anyone shout out any spiritual practice at all? Someone tell me. Prayer is the one most people immediately think of. Yes, prayer is a spiritual practice. And historically for 2,000 years, whether Catholic, Protestant, whatever, Christians, disciples, have intended to engage in six core practices. You read all the great Christians of history... With some variation, they all engage in these six practices. So disciples seek to follow Christ by worshiping weekly, praying daily, reading the Bible daily, serving at their local congregation and beyond, relating with others and building spiritual friendships, and giving generously. Those are the six marks of discipleship, or the basic practices, marks of faithful Christians in every single century. You show me any continent in the world where they've been Christians, and I can show you they engage in those practices. Churchgoers might do the worship sometimes, but they might not do the other thing. Another part of being a disciple is that you are sent from the altar to the world. When you and I receive Holy Communion, we're not just receiving bread and wine. We're not just doing some ritual with mumbo-jumbo words that we do, okay, let's go up and I get my little thing and that's it. No. We are receiving God's love. We are receiving mercy. We are receiving supernatural strength and power. And there's other things too I could say about the Eucharist, but that will do. And once we've received that gift at the altar, then you are to take that gift and follow Christ out into the world. Into the midst of the regular stuff of life. The routine things, you know, washing dishes and stuff you have to do. 
the joys, the pains, the loneliness, the busyness, whatever the context is for your life, that's where you're to follow Christ. So if someone insults you, which Russ will do after the service, I understand, follow Jesus. If someone betrays you, follow Jesus. If someone wants you to follow along with them with popular opinion, the almighty dollar, hurtful gossip, if you're a Christian, what should you do? Follow Jesus. That wasn't a question yet. Follow Jesus. Now, follow up to that. Is that easy? Is it in your experience? Is it easy? No, it's not. In fact, here's what one author had to say about this following Jesus stuff. Quote, Jesus never did a sales job on his disciples. He never told them that this was the easy path. In fact, he tells them that no path could ever be so hard. We must never think Christianity is the easy way. Following Christ to the cross is not comfortable, popular, or prosperous. If that is how our life becomes, it is quite possible that we are completely ignoring the gospel. End of quote. Now, your spiritual homework for this week is the same spiritual homework that every single Christian all over the world who's receiving communion today, they're getting the same assignment. It doesn't matter whether they're receiving communion in a Catholic church, a Lutheran church, Methodist church, it doesn't matter if they're a Christian. And they're receiving communion today, they're receiving the same spiritual homework you are. In fact, for the rest of your life, every time you put your hands up to receive that bread, partake of that wine, to take Christ into your life, you're going to receive this same assignment. Assignment is very simple to say. It is very hard to do. Here it is. Follow Christ. Amen.